Welcome to the third edition of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker, and hopefully by now you'll know that I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Vent. Each pod, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they're passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. Now, as we're such huge fans of theirs, I'm going to remind you once again that our intro music is brought to you by the brilliant people in Patawawa. They've just released their newest single, All The Time, off their upcoming EP, London, Paris, New York, Matlock. And they've also just produced a lovely remix of Eka's latest single, Just A Thing. So do give them a listen, or three, if you haven't already. In this edition of the Just Checking In pod, we're going to mix things up a bit. In the first couple of pods, we talked a whole load about different topics that have helped my special guests with their mental health. And we've held wide discussions about the mental health sector as a whole. In this podcast, we're going to look at the science behind mental health itself, in particular, depression. Most of the listeners will know this already, but for many, for any newcomers, depression is something I've lived with from a very young age. And I'm, so I'm extremely excited to have this discussion and for it to be with one of my longest and closest friends. Now, of course, we couldn't do this episode without getting someone on who's not just eloquent, but knowledgeable about this subject as well. So I'm delighted to be welcoming Daniel Agnew to the pod. Daniel holds a bachelor's in biomedical science, a master's in applied physiology, and currently works as administrator and trainee physiologist. In short, he knows his stuff. Now, before we start, we should also point out that neither of us are qualified doctors or therapists. So whilst this discussion will offer you tips and advice on how to lead a healthier life, everyone will have different ways to help them with their unique mental health issues. If you're worried about your mental health, please consult your doctor or local mental health service. Dan, welcome to the Just Checking In pod. First of all, it's brilliant to have you on. How are you doing, mate? Thank you, Fred. I'm very well. Um, I just wanted to initially say that um, I think you're doing a great thing with your podcast. Thanks and, a lot, man. Um, you know, I really think it will help a lot of people in the future. Um, personally, right now, I'd say I'm in quite a good space mentally. Um, and I think it's important to also add that that's not always the case. You know, mm-hmm. everyone has their down days from time to time. And I'd be lying if I said that once in a while it doesn't happen to me. Of course. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. equally, I think the information I'm gonna share with you here is gonna try and emphasize what you can do to sort of counteract that on a broader picture. You on know? a daily basis as well. Exactly. Excellent. Um, so the listeners are aware, me and you have been friends since about 14, 15, maybe earlier. Yeah, I'd say but so. But I can't actually remember the first time that we met. Do you remember that? The first time I met you, well, I don't remember it vividly. Because I can't remember it at all. I'm pretty sure it was at Peter Harker Soccer School. Was that it? Was that really it? Jesus, that was a long time ago. Back in your heyday. Wow. (laughs) Heyday's a stretch, isn't it? (laughs) So it was what, we were about year nine, year ten? Yeah, I mean, all I remember is you were wearing your Huddersfield kit. That's all I got. I mean, that's a great memory to have, to be honest, mate. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, So... For the listeners as well, to, to add some more context to this conversation, we've spoken a while about doing this pod together, but for the listeners who might not be aware of the inspiration about why you wanted to do it, just give them a bit more information about that in context. Sure. Um, well, I wanted to put a bit of a different angle on what you normally do, mm-hmm. given sort of where I am at the moment. Um, and I think my general interest is in health and well-being. Mm-hmm. I think it's unbelievably taken for granted 
and underappreciated and in the current world that we live in it's so easy to just get caught up in like diet fads and incorrect information mm. and not looking after yourself um do you believe in diets no i don't not believe in diets. Okay. i believe in lifestyle changes mm-hmm. um yeah a diet implies short term and what's the point in doing something for a short amount of time if you're going to revert to something it's fixed term isn't it really exactly that all sounds brilliant, mate. What would be the main message that you'd want to deliver to the listeners today? That neglecting your well-being will have a detrimental impact on your mental health mm-hmm. and the importance of not doing that, whether it's, you know, just making a few changes here and there or having to really sort of change your lifestyle in a, gra- a grander way, but understanding that it doesn't have to be like straight away and aggressive. You can take it step by step, you know. Now let's clear something up before we get into it. You are a physiologist and a lot of people I know as well from you personally that they get confused with the term physiotherapist. Can you tell the listeners what the difference is and what your role is? Sure. So I completely appreciate the confusion because, you know, half of it is exactly the same. And if you shorten it to physio... From a linguistic point of view. Exactly. And if you shorten it, it's the first half of the word is the same. Um, And it doesn't help that I work in a sports medicine clinic, which is largely physiotherapy based. Mm -hmm. Um, But a physiotherapist is more involved with injuries to muscles or ligaments and tendons and looking at the musculoskeletal system. Mm -hmm. Whereas a physiologist is more concerned about observing other physiological systems. So, for example, your cardiovascular system or your respiratory system. So and cardiovascular would be what exactly? So be like so. Yeah. There's your heart and your blood vessels, okay. and basically how that moves around the body and how well it functions. Mm-hmm. Um, pathophysi- pathophysiology of that would be, you know, cardiovascular disease, atherosclerosis, things like that. Um, but also general function. So obviously people know the word cardio when they think of fitness, mm-hmm. and that's looking at improving the efficiency and capacity of your heart and its ability to deliver oxygen to the working muscles. The first subject we're going to talk about, Dan, is how our lifestyle can affect depression. Tell me a bit a bit more more about that if you can. All right, Fred. So basically, I did some reading before we came on here and I wanted to have a bit more knowledge for you. So I found a paper by a gentleman called Lapresti mm-hmm. and it was written in 2013. So very recent. And fairly recent. Mm-hmm. I think in the science world, they'll be like, hmm. Oh, okay. So even, even you know, as far as six years ago might be, okay. Like that's pre my master's. So um, a review, it was called a review of lifestyle factors that contribute to important pathways associated with major depression. Now, obviously when I was reading it, it really delved deep into the physiology behind certain mechanisms and pathways that affect depression specifically. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, bore you with those those sort of ins and outs because it can get quite very technical yeah okay quite a lot of jargon if you will yeah yeah completely um, but general general take-home message was that the research found that there are multiple um systems or pathways that depression can be or that can depression can arise because of mishaps in them mm-hmm. so specifically they found six different pathways that were dysregulated um and what does dysregulated mean for people who might not be aware of the word so it's like malfunction so physiology is the function of the human body and Mm -hmm. how it functions so 
in depress in a depressed state or in a depression, one of these six pathways or multiple of these six pathways might be dysregulated or malfunctioning in okay. some way, whether that be a receptor not responding to um, a substrate or anything like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but as well, on top of these, these six factors could also be associated. The changes in these that cause dysregulation could be environmental, social, psychological, lifestyle factors, genetic, or just the individual's physiology. So all in all, there's a lot of things to consider mm -hmm. with respect to why people experience depression. And and if one of those is dysregulated, by what I understand, that th that could cause an impact on someone's depression or mental health. What if, say, two or three or four of those were impacted at the same time? Would be would it be akin to maybe a mental health breakdown or mental health crisis? If 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 that was if that was accurate, or um, I don't think it's like a exaggeration or exacerbation effect. Okay, like yeah, that's grander. If you say if you have all six are ruined, then you're more depressed than one. But just there are they found these different pathways are all altered in individuals right. who are depressed. Okay. Whether it's a combination of one, two, three. Um, I didn't delve, delve too deep into the ins and outs, basically, but that's what they've associated from a physiology standpoint to depression. Mm -hmm. um, and then the article went on to sort of advise that lifestyle factors, the three sort of key ones would be diet, exercise and sleep. And all of them have different influences on a number of these six pathways. So basically, to take away from that would be, if you look after yourself in terms of what you eat, if you look after yourself in terms of how you function physically, mm -hmm. and how you recover and rest, all three of those will reduce the likelihood of these pathways becoming dysregulated and therefore increase the chances of you not becoming depressed. Now let's talk about that first factor you mentioned, which is diet. Now, this is something that I've definitely been very conscious of over the last few years, especially since I graduated from university. Um, for anyone listening to the pod who knows me fairly well, they'll know I don't just have a sweet tooth, but like a whole front and back set of sugar incisors and molars. I love chocolate. I love jam donuts. I love hot cross buns. But I've consciously made a decision to cut a lot of these sugars out of my life. And it's infinitely improved, not only my self-esteem, but just generally helped me feel better and healthier on a daily basis. Um, from a scientific perspective, Dan, is there a link between our diets and our mental health? In short, the answer is yes, Fred. Like really and truly, I think people don't appreciate the relationship between the gastrointestinal system, what you eat, what you gain from eating mm -hmm. and its relationship with your brain, its capacity, its function, its well-being. Like, it sounds stupid, but, you know, you have to really consider what you eat and what you put into your body is your fuel. That's literally what you're functioning mm. off. And that, I don't think the relationship seen as that strong because one's going in your mouth and down to your stomach and your bread's on your bread, your head's on top of your, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'm maybe getting both. hungry. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a sign, mate, yeah. yeah. Is, uh, is, is up above, but you know, there's, it can have a number of fact, uh, influences on your mood, capacity, urgency, and mental well-being mm. for sure. Are there examples that you can point to where an improved or healthier diet can actually lead to reducing the risk of depression? Um, yeah, like there's a lot of studies out there and the one that I touched on earlier really delves deep into a number of it was a meta-analysis and it found a, a number of other studies and it's like 
this study's identified this and that study's identified that. And, you know, I, again, I don't want to delve too deep mm. into any of those things, but um, I think it's important to view your body as something that requires looking after as if like, I don't want to say a pet or a car or something like mm -hmm. that. But, you know, if you nourish it correctly and you provide it with the right nutrition, good vitamins, minerals, a broad spectrum, mm. you're going to get a full, full, like you're going to benefit from that in so many more ways. Mm. Whereas if you do not do that and you live a lifestyle which involves eating high processed foods and sugary sweets and all of that solely mm. you're you're limiting your functional capacity mm. and that's that's just hindering yourself you know like mm. i've got a sweet tooth too mate like i i love it's the chocolate for me i just oh, i dairy I, milk or i can Lindor, binge mate. i can binge like yeah. hard my the, flatmates will tell you like, the grazing the great that's for me the grazing yeah if i go into the kitchen i'm like oh what's in the fridge i'll just get something to eat like, it's and i bored them as well it's so easily done speaking of High processed foods. I think we're all partial to a Mackey D's or a Burger King or a jam donut or whatever, which is high processed and normally has a lot of sugars in it, um, especially me. But is there evidence to show that too much of these sugars and trans fats can be harmful to our mental health in the long run? Um, harmful to health, yes. Mm -hmm. And then specifically mental health as a part of that bright, wider bracket, mm -hmm. most certainly. But, you know, it's hard to say specifics in terms of, oh, if you do this, then that will cause that. But equally, foods like McDonald's, for example, you're consuming something that has been like fine-tuned to be as um, addictive as possible in some ways. Like the, the bread that they use is a certain kind of sweet. Mm -hmm. The mayonnaise that they use in their sandwiches isn't just, it's not called mayonnaise, it's called a certain other sauce because it's, got a, a really moorish okay. taste to it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone's partial to that. And once in a while, like, do your thing, you know, enjoy mm. what you enjoy. Just have a bit of a longer term consideration for yourself as well, you know? Mm. Like for yourself, for example. Yeah. You were just telling me off, off this before about what you would eat on a day-to-day -day and you were listing off a wild list. But like day-to-day, -day, like what, what, what would you say you eat now? On a day to day, um, so I don't have breakfast anymore. So I was I'm cutting out orange juice, which is sugary. Um, I used to think it was quite healthy for me actually, but now I realise there's obviously a lot of what is from, if it's C, from concentrate. Yeah, um, I don't eat cornflakes anymore, which I had which had sugar in it. Um, my lunch is a very reduced lunch. It used to be, you know, a sandwich, three pieces of fruit, a packet of crisps, a chocolate bar, a Capri Sun in one go in like 20 minutes and now it's wholemeal bread sandwich two pieces of fruit and then for dinner it'll be any sort of range of sort of you know carbohydrate meat and vegetables um so i've definitely and i've definitely i've definitely reduced the snacking i've done as well in between those meals and for me i think it was more a in my head i was thinking that i sort of Ha not had to eat those foods but just to fuel myself for the day and fuel my extroverted like high octane personality and now I feel like I don't need to do that I can just live off natural fuel and whatever um, and also I think it's finding distractions to stop myself from going into those habits of going to the kitchen and opening the cupboard and getting a piece of food and then getting another piece of food because I'm bored 
or just because I've got nothing better to do. If I distract myself, then I'm much better able to A, control hunger and B, put the right food in at the right time. Mm. Um, now, veganism and vegetarian diets are all the rage. It's almost like a cultural fad or something. You know, everyone's becoming a vegan. Everyone's becoming... I've never heard of a vegan tell me they're a vegan. I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? I was a bit slow there. Um, and I don't, I, and, and I genuinely believe that, you know, the, um, the increased amount of vegetarians vegan is a good thing. Um, but I'm a meat eater myself and I don't think I could ever do it. I think I'm just, you know, I love bacon too much and I love sausages too much, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think I could ever give those up. Um, but is, is there evidence to suggest, is there evidence out there to suggest that vegan-based diets maybe not only good for our health, but also have knock-on effects for our mental health as well? Um, well, I don't know, man. I would argue that a vegan diet is good for the planet and the environment yeah, and sure. many angles like that. But I wouldn't say, like, my personal opinion is that you're not designed to not consume some sort of animal product. Like, that's right. just, that's, I don't know, man. We've been fine-tuned over a, a long period of time and mm. that's just part of the diet you're fine-tuned for, you know? Mm. Um, equally, you know, fair enough, do your thing. I get that. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know, I couldn't really comment on if veganism has yeah. a, good, a good thing for your mental well, health. that's but, fair enough. You know, like, yeah. it's a difficult one, especially as I'm no expert on veganism. Mm. And I I couldn't... I was just I'm wondering... Like you, like, I couldn't from, imagine from my, it. Yeah, I was just wondering from my personal perspective, if there's if there's been some research done that would show that cutting that amount of processed, well, not even processed meat, just meat in general and moving to plant-based or substitutes or alternatives might, you know, have some more effect on neurological um, part of your part of your life or if there was actually some genuine sort of knock-on effects to your mental health. But well, if you look at like, there are people who are like power athletes now who are plant-based mm. and, they, and they're like big guys. It's growing you know, as well, isn't it? Yeah, they've yeah, got, yeah. They've got huge muscle masses and to keep that and maintain that you need to consume a lot of protein so mm. you know there's obviously ways to do that but mm. personally when i think of vegan based proteins that are like not powder based or are more natural like foods mm. they come with a lot of has, you have to consume a lot mm. and it comes with like a lot of extra stuff like yeah. carbohydrate you know, I, can, or I can imagine like the rock being like a vegetarian because he has like nine meals a day yeah. or something stupid and the amount of calories he must consume you'd need to have some form of meat in there surely I might be wrong but you'd, you'd need I mean, to have some there'll form of meat definitely be people out there who could argue against that but I, I get your angle yeah. for sure what, what do you what do you think about the oh, I'm trying to find the right, right way to phrase this the diet culture out there at the moment I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of advertising a lot of marketing being done to you know get slim quick in three months, get big muscles in 12 weeks. You know, there's a lot of different diets that are being chucked at us on a daily basis. And I, now I find it, I find it quite damaging for me from a personal perspective because I, I not only know that it's misleading because it's taken me four years and a lot of lifestyle changes to even get to this point where I'm a lot you know, happier in myself and I'm, I'm cutting down a lot of different foods and I've changed my, my body structure and stuff like that. What do you think about that diet culture? I mean, do you think it's, do you think it's positive that we're trying to become more healthy as a generation or do you think it's sort of getting to that stage where people are being sort of exploited and given maybe unrealistic um, expectations? 
definitely both man like 100% it's good that we're everyone's trying to be more health conscious and be a better version of themselves and mm. like I'm a big advocate for that you know like you need to be the best version of yourself and that does involve eating correctly and exercising and sleeping as we'll get on to but equally people are exposed to high volumes of advertising and incorrect information via social media sources like Instagram for example is probably the the worst out there because like there are people out there with just the most absurd bodies like you just Mm. think there's just that is not number one that is not that hasn't been not edited that hasn't been edited yeah but number two you're advertising that as you look like that all the time which you definitely don't like it's just not possible Mm. and then there's people who are socialites selling you teas that are going to make you slim down i find that so harmful mate especially to like young girls and young boys as well like our age wasn't there a, a the craze about uh, one with the kim kardashian with the kardashian a lollipop that yeah makes yeah. you i don't even know the details but it sounds the kardashians horrendous. got in trouble for doing for advertising that i think and a few other influencers in inverted commas um i just find i just find that whole culture really toxic on this on that side of the diet culture and fitness culture i just find it really toxic um there, there's definitely a, a, a broad spectrum you know like yeah yeah they're doing doing the right thing and there are people out there advertising meal preps which like give you exactly what you need nutritionally mm. a good portion size and like they set you up good and well and that's great but yeah that like there's a lot of exposure and yeah it's not all good mm. um but from i wouldn't say diets generally are a good idea because like i said before it implies short-term change in expectance of a long-term goal, mm-hmm. which just isn't the case. Like there, there are people out there who will be like, oh, I'm doing this eight-week juice detox. Yeah, I never get that. I'm doing, what, so at the end of it, weeks. you're going to be back to your normal eating habits. Yeah, like what do you think you're going to achieve? And then in that time, do you think the results that you get after that eight weeks, say they are beneficial, are going to last your lifetime? Obviously not. Yeah. Right? Why would you do that to yourself? You're, mm. you're going to deprive yourself for eight weeks in the hope that you're going to change your life for 50 years. Like get out of here, you know? Like just do something long term mm. that is manageable sustainable as well and yeah. yeah sustainable like you know treat yourself once in a while but for the most part you know just think about what you need to do to be how you want to be mm. it's easy finally before we move on is there anything else you want to add around diets about how we can use them or we should not use them to improve our life and mental health Dan? Um, well, again, I'd avoid the word diet, but I'd say from a lifestyle perspective, um, a few, or the study I was looking at earlier said that the best diets to sort of diets, the best foods to consume are that of a Mediterranean based or a traditional based. Um, these would consist largely of, you know, your vegetables, fruits, nuts, legumes, fish, um, and it even says a moderate alcohol intake, you know, um, and then a traditional diet would be similar sort of foods with grains as well. And I was found to actually be associated with a 35% reduction in a risk of oh, depression. Oh wow, so quite a lot then. Yeah. So I don't know the, the size of the study, but you know, when you hear numbers like that, it makes you think, well, you know, if I look after myself, you're going to lower the chances of anything sort of becoming to the forefront. Equally as well, another study found in 2009 that depressive symptoms are positively associated with the consumption of sweets 
And similarly, high intakes of fast foods such as hamburgers, sausages and pizzas, processed pastries, you know, all the good stuff. So I can't eat sausages anymore. (laughs) You can eat sausages, but just (laughs) have them like once a week instead of once a day. Okay. I had sausages today, so, you know, that'll be my weekend. Not for dinner. That'll be my weekend film. Um, But yeah, they're associated with an increased risk of depression up to six years later. Wow. Wow, that's quite eye-opening actually. This next topic we're going to talk about is something that I think too many people often neglect and neglect quite casually at that. Mm. Um, And that's sleep. So in my life, I definitely need at least eight hours a night to make sure I'm still my extroverted and energy-driven self. But there's so many people who, you know, barely get seven hours and they're not even new parents. So firstly, why is sleep so important in our life and for our mental health? All right, Fred, well, I'm going to open up with a, a big old... A big, no, a, a big old a big old number situation wow, okay so if you live to 90 you should spend or you would have spent 30 years of your life asleep 30 years of your life think about it if you're having eight hours a day of a 24-hour day that's a third of your day so it's a third of your life that is quite mad actually to think it's about. a long time isn't it but yeah. it doesn't it doesn't need to sound over overly ridiculous or a waste of time because that time spent asleep is paramount to mm. your function and your well-being mentally physically socially in every way shape or form like your sleep time is where you recover your rest you revitalize like you know mm. like sometimes you might not wake up fresh but yeah i really can't emphasize the importance of sleep the importance of sleep for general well-being mm. and you know general well-being has its knock-on effects to mental health now i'm sure there's a few listeners who are listening to the pod right now who may suffer with insomnia and insomnia by definition means a lack of sleep or problem sleeping what more can you tell us about that dan and how it might have an impact on not only their lives and how they live how they go about and live it but also their mental health as well um well i think it's first important to just throw out some some stats about mm. about insomnia uh 30 of the general population have reported symptoms of insomnia it's quite a significant amount isn't it when you think about it exactly it's a lot of people Um, and 10 to 20 percent of people in that same group describe a dissatisfaction with their sleep and i don't know about you but whenever i speak to my friends or colleagues day to day like you know if you have a bad night's sleep you generally kind of mention it it kind of comes up and it can influence your day the next day you know um but yeah as much as those numbers are quite high they're significantly increased in individuals who have been diagnosed with a major depression with as much as with as high as 90% of patients reporting sleep disturbances. Wow. So, I mean, so it, it feels like certainly from those stats initially that the two may be interlinked or if not, one can certainly have a really big impact on the other. Yeah. Well, insom- insomnia is a, a common prodromal feature of depression. Right. Um, and sleep symptoms preceding an episode of depression in 40% of cases. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a serious relationship between the two. And if you think about it, what I was trying to emphasize before about the importance of sleep, not only, well, for day-to-day function, if that's disturbed or hindered or reduced, mm. you know, the next 16 hours are going to be a bit of a pickle, mm. regardless of your your state of mind, you know, it's going to have an effect on How it. many hours do you get you get asleep in that? Well, my friends always used to mug me off a little bit when I was a kid because 
my mum had a zero tolerance. Wow. Um, Shout out Mrs. Agnew. Zero tolerance to anything past 9pm. So I used to go to bed at 9pm. From, from, like, from what age? From like, geez, I don't know, maybe like 13 through to like... 18. No, what, so you're going to bed at nine o'clock when you're 18? I mean, don't get me wrong, I was a bit of a rascal. I'd be chilling. <laughs> Quickly I'd be, put that in. I'd be chilling in bed for a bit. <laughs> but equally, yeah, teeth were brushed by nine. If we were wow. playing if we were playing Xbox together, I was off the console. So they used to I mean, that a bit. probably put you in good stead though, to be fair. I mean, yes, maybe, but equally you can be overslept, you know, like if I was going to bed at nine and getting up at 6.30, like that's, that's a long time. Mm. 6.30, it's more like seven. It's a long time to be asleep. Now I work a lot of early shifts, so I have to get up around five, five thirty, and it's difficult to go to bed at nine to get in my eight hours, you know. So a lot of the times I'm waking, I'm going to bed at like ten, maybe not falling asleep till ten thirty, waking up at five thirty. That's seven hours, which I can live off, I can work off, but by the time it gets to like Thursday, Friday, my colleagues are telling me I look tired, or I'm a bit fatigued, or I'm a bit irritable. And like it does accumulate, you know, mm. and, and you don't want to hear that in a work environment. It can lead to burnout as well, can't it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, I, I go to bed, I aim to go to bed at 10 and, you know, latest I'll be like in bed, my phone's on airplane mode and the lights are off at 10.30, that's latest. And I wake up at seven. So that's quite a lot of sleep, but I don't feel like it's too much. Do you have any issues when you sleep? Like disturbances, do you wake I mean, up? I mean, I have friends who wake up every hour and they're like, I woke up at two. And no, generally, generally, no, to be honest. I mean, there is, there have been times where I'm quite a heavy sleeper. So the only times that seem to wake me up is sometimes something might happen in the middle of the night and I'm suddenly awake, but then I'll just turn over and go to sleep straight and I'll be back to sleep straight away. Or if like a fox is like screaming out and they've got the most horrific sound when they bark, that will sometimes wake me up if there's foxes outside. Or if they're fighting with cats, that'll wake me up. But apart from that, that I want to say it. that noise is foxes having sex. Do you reckon? Mm. Like it's a horrible. But it's sound. I only hear one though. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hear two of them. That that's the only thing that will wake me up. But apart from that, I will normally sleep from ten, ten thirty, right through to seven. And I think I really feel like I need that because if I go, to, if I like start the process of going to bed at eleven, and I go to bed and I fall asleep at like eleven thirty or even twelve you just, it's so much harder for me to get up. Like my alarm wakes up and it's so much harsher and just generally it's so much more difficult to get up. So I think sleep, sleep is a massive benefit for me, definitely on my mental health. There's a book by a gentleman called Matthew Walker called Why We Sleep and a few colleagues have recommended it because it talks about how important it is to your general function, but also just like the patterns and why we assume we should sleep this eight hour cycle and right. use it every night. Like really and truly, I think the takeaway message is when you're tired, you should sleep. Mm. Like there are cycles that you can do where you have power naps three times a day for between 20 and 30 minutes. You mean a disco nap? And <laughs> a disco nap Thank for you, you for sure. <laughs> um, I had to get and, that one in. You know, like that can, that can suffice for people, but... You know, I don't want to give anyone the impression that they should just nap for 20 minutes every time they're tired. Yeah, exactly. Get away yeah. with that because, you know, I don't think that'll get you very far. It might, but um, yeah, sleep's underrated. The final topic of this discussion uh, is exercise. Now, if you've made it this far, 
I'm really hoping that this is the most interesting part of the conversation because Dan, I think you have loads to talk about on this. Um, I think it's pr- I think I'd feel pretty safe in saying that exercise can be absolutely huge for people living with mental health issues or addictions. Um, in my life, exercise and the gym and football has not only given me added structure and routine, but goals to set myself, and that's led to vastly improved self-esteem levels as well. Firstly, you know, do you think that that bad physical health can lead to bad mental health? One hundred percent. Bad physical health is far too abundant in my opinion i think people take their their form as a as for granted mm. i it blows my mind that pe is a compulsory thing from the age of from your when you're born at school until you're 16 mm. and then you don't ever have to do anything like that ever again like why is that not important anymore or why is like i don't want to say compulsory but you know like generally speaking the effects of physical health and well-being obviously going to have an effect on your brain like you think about any time you've worked out you might feel exhausted after you might feel completely beat but you're going to be better for it long term and like from a personal perspective like really focusing hard on my training and delving into that helped me through some more difficult times and the rush that I get like Granted, I don't do much cardio at the moment. I'm more sort of interested in a, in a strength program, but the rush that I get when I do my cardio can only be compared to some of the highest moments of my life. Really? You know? like, See, I find, that's interesting because I find when I've done, I mean, if I'm in a serious groove in like a weight session and I'm really sweating it out and I'm doing like drop sets or whatever, that's where the endorphins start rushing and I get, I mean, it's really high high frame of mind so to speak why, why do you think that what you mentioned before about the drop-off in focus or or whatever why do you think there ha- there is that sort of drop-off do you think it's because of the curriculum and we, we're not really you know educated to really think about PE unless you're maybe one of the sports athletes and then you take it as an A-level what, what, what reason do you think you could pinpoint I don't really know to be honest Fred that's a good question I think like I don't know I I'm a I'm a football man. You're a football man, and I've always been playing that on a Saturday morning ever since I can remember. You know, and I think having that external stimulus for it outside of school, which just made me a bit more sort of switched on about it all. Like I just loved it. That was my escape. I could look forward to that on a Saturday morning, um, and I think that goes down to like parenting in some right ways. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not exposed to these extracurricular activities and what to do from a young age, then you might not have the same appreciation for it when you get older mm. and therefore you might and to not have any... That in your kids. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. might not, you might not have, like, you, you, you might not be able to experience what your body's capable of and in doing so you just become a bit of a hermit in that sense. Mm. And then that's where people can end up, you know, becoming conscious and it will have an impact on you know life expectancy and and all sorts of different knock-on effects doesn't it are there any are there any studies that that demonstrate how exercise can improve one's mental health for sure so going back to that study that i looked at at the start um it i'll just take a little bit from it it said that physical activity is actually inversely related to depression and that a a meta-analysis as recent as 2018 which was conducted on 49 prospective studies 
found that compared to people with low levels of physical activity, those with high levels of physical activity had a 17% lower risk of developing depression. And that's of developing itself rather than, wow, that's, that's quite eye-opening. And physical activity protected against the emergence of depression for people of all ages across multiple geographical regions. So, you know, that's not like, oh, I'm from a specific race or part of the world. This isn't going to, this is only going to affect me. This is universal. Mm. It's international, man. Like mm. I've heard people comment and say, if exercise was in drug form or a pill form, everyone would be taking it because mm. the rush you get off of it and the health benefits you gain from it long term aren't matchable by anything that you can take in terms of... Do you of think they're comparable to anything else? Not because... Uh, no, because of the spectrum. Mm. Like, you might have something that can, you know, help you from one angle and or might be able to do this for you from another angle, but in an entirety and from a full spectrum of things, second to none. Mm. So interesting. In your, in, in your job... Have you seen examples where people's mental health has, has tangibly improved alongside a change in their exercise routine? Um, it's an interesting question. I mean, sometimes, well, I don't know, it's difficult as well. Like you can't really delve too deep into observing that long. Well, maybe you can. Like I'd say, yeah. Okay. Like short term, some people come in, they want to do a training session. They come in, they're a bit blue. It's Monday morning. They're tired. They're just not with it maybe a bit just grumpy for whatever reason you put them on a bike session they have to do sprints on the bike they got no choice but to focus their entire energy on making sure that they're getting those sprints in and in their recovery time they can't think about being tied all down anymore they're thinking about jesus i need to catch my breath yeah exactly rinse and repeat you do that 20 times in 10 minutes you're puffing you're starting your day right you're full of energy you're ready mm. to go you know have a shower it's all good longer term we have individuals who come through who, you know, they come in and they join us and as part of a program because they're extremely busy individuals and they want to improve their health and they want to turn on and turn themselves into their best version, mm. but they need help and assistance to do that. And some of the improvements I've seen over the last two years are insane. Like there's these patients. Do you have any examples of that or? I mean, I can't mention anyone specifically. Yeah, of course. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there are guys who wouldn't be able to do a single pull up and would need to just do some lap pull downs as their, their maximum capacity. And you could see the struggle on their face. And now they can form, perform two or three sets of pull-ups. And it's like, this is part of who I am now, you know, like mm. I can do that. And yeah, that's certainly the case for me. I think when I started in the gym, you know, I couldn't lift, I couldn't do a single pull-up. And now I can do three, four, five sets of six or seven reps. And I can- It's a good measure of strength. Yeah. And it's, it's a good, it's a good sort of comparative to- go back to you know an earlier part of your life and look back on it as a really proud moment of achievement as well i think that was a quite a big thing for me in, in improving my self-esteem because it was it was not only like an improved method of structure and i could you know i've got the work i've got work come back go to the gym you know come home and that's that part that's part of my, my evening now but now i can look back on those four and a half years and obviously i've still got loads to go and we can always self-improve all the time but see how far i've come from where I was not being able to lift like a 5kg dumbbell to now it's it's almost like you have to st take a step back 100%. and sort of realise what you've actually achieved and sort of be proud of yourself for that yeah and in the industry I'm in as well I get to see that more frequently which is nice you know like mm. I'm, I'm working with some people and 
if we go up a weight on bench press or something like that, you know, once they've completed the set, they put it down and they're just absolutely buzzing. And it's mm. like, yeah, that's what it's about. You know, you set yourself a goal, you absolutely smash it. You set yourself the next one and you just keep going. You keep developing, you keep improving yourself. In, in your personal life as well, how have you seen your own mental health change or improve alongside these lifestyle changes that we've mentioned previously? Quite a bit. And drastically so, like I had some some difficult times at university where mm-hmm. I really sort of experienced things I wasn't planning to experience. And, and had you you hadn't experienced them before? No. Okay. And I won't again. No doubt about it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you know, like stuff that just really takes you back and throws you off course, and mm-hmm. you know, really unsettles you. And when you hear of stories similar to that now, you can relate, and you're like, wow, okay, like. I know what you're going through mm. and I know how I dealt with it, mm. which was completely and utterly distract myself by focusing on myself. Mm. Like before that, I was at university, I was eating terribly. And the one thing that stands out most is I came back from Christmas break during second year. And the first thing my flatmate said to me was, bloody hell, mate, you've a bit of a porker and like no I no way just I straight up just yeah. said that to you well like, he was very blunt as right. it was but yeah like I, I didn't really think about it and then a few pictures came up from like social events and I'm seeing one or two more chins that I wasn't aware of <laughs> and you're like rah like okay maybe he's right and then this happened and that aggregation of things was like right something needs to change let's fix this up so and you use fitness to improve or distract your mind from this life event that had affected you so badly it was my escape yeah and was it a good form of escapism 100% like Mm. I reaped the rewards from it like I would sleep I'd go to bed and at a reasonable time I'd wake up early I'd try and take out my emotion on cycling as hard and fast as I can and sweating and just making sure my brain was in a different space you know and how do you find cycling as, as an exercise compared to, say, gym work in regards to how it's a, how it gives you different endorphins or, or whatever? Um, I mean, I don't cycle that much anymore, to be honest. Right. That was just an option then because I had a bike and my university town at 6am was ghastly quiet. So I could just absolutely stonk around the town, which was really quite nice. Um, but now I go to the gym more and I used it as a sort of... Like sometimes I cycle to the gym, do my gym and then come back. Um, but yeah, distract myself, cycle, train, eat right and just try and grind through it. And, you know, like it was a slow process and it was a difficult process. Did that teach you anything about sort of resilience and um, ways that you could help yourself deal with a particular situation uh, on your own if you had if you didn't have those other support structures in place? Yeah, 100%. Like I remember telling my mum about it and mm. she was, she found it so difficult because I was so far away as well. And mm. like, I, w- I had quite a close relationship before and then having experienced that and not being able to find sort of comfort in that, not in the same way. You just had to get on with it and deal with it yourself, you know? I think we all had to, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, and we, that, we, we, can we go, all went, yeah, we all went, we're not, we're off to university and, um, we all had our paths to cut, you know, carve out and we all had new people to, to meet and stuff. And 
it's one of those things where we almost like didn't really talk to each other as a, that much as a group until we came back for Christmas and then we all like hang out again and then we all went off again in January. Everyone's in the same boat. Yeah, everyone's they? in the same boat. Everyone yeah. does that by and large, unless you've got, unless you're living in each other's pockets for the entirety of uni. Um, but yeah, so I think that, that, that wider conversation about how you, you lose your traditional support structure. And this is something that I discussed with, with, with Elliot on the last pod and how he found going to university really, really tough because he had all these good support structures in place at home where we live and he sort of lost them when he went to university and having to create new support structures was something that he found really difficult. Was that something that you found difficult as well when you went to university? Because I certainly did, definitely. Yeah, definitely, like 100%. To be honest, I hadn't really thought about that in a long time, but that first term in student residences in... A university town mm. the first couple of weeks is all high and exciting and fun and like wow okay all these new people everyone's out everyone's having a good time but yeah once that dies down a bit and you are learning to function on your own for the first time it will take its toll you know like mm. it was a bit like it was hard like there were there were there, I was there, really were, homesick. there really was homesick. hard times during yeah. that for sure um but yeah once you come through that i think you become such a bigger like person in terms of your capabilities you know like independence as well and all sorts of stuff yeah, like that yeah independence is is massive for me and i definitely feel like university shapes shaped that a lot yeah i think for me i mean we spoke i spoke about this on the last pod about my my housing situation and how i was in a, a house off campus when i was at sussex and i was with people i didn't know and people who didn't really want to talk to me they stayed in their rooms the whole time etc etc and people can um listeners can go back to that pod if you want to hold the whole story but once i got onto campus and i got to through to second term i only went home for the weekend like twice in that term whereas in the first term i went home out of say 12 weeks of studying i think i went home like six times so i think it, it did it did teach me a lot about resilience at the time and being independent and despite the fact that I was struggling with my mental health issues and they were coming to the fore in a really unhe- in, in a really explosive way and something that I was tr- struggling to foresee I was still on a day-to-day basis in a fairly decent place but I obviously knew that the storm was coming and I think for me and you being able to get to that place where we have these support structures, but at the same time, we know that, right, if worst comes to the worst, we have these mental tools that we can, we've got ourselves to, to, to and we've developed over time to be able to try and deal with it as best we can. 100%. Did you train a lot during your time at uni? No. So when I was in university, um, freshers, well, freshers uh, term, I lost so much weight because I just like was going out every single night and I just sometimes just wasn't eating. And I remember when I got onto campus, my, I remember it was like two, it was like maybe like one or two months in and my um, flatmate Lucy, she'll enjoy uh, me giving her a shout out on this pod. I remember walking to the kitchen, she just went, you look unwell, please eat something. Because I genuinely looked like I probably lost like, I was about 10 stone then and I probably lost about half a stone through not eating. And I went home and like started trying to get into more of a, a routine with, with eating regular dinners and not going out every single night. And then I got to a better stage and I was eating dinners and it was fine and whatever. Um, but second year, when I was really, really struggling with my mental health, I started to eat a lot and I 
was I went to I went to about thirteen stone when I was in second term of of second year. I was eating stupid amounts of unhealthy food. I was eating like twenty eight packets of crisps a week. I was going into Sainsbury's, right? I was going, yeah, I know. I was going into Sainsbury's, right? And um, I was walking in the aisles and I used always used to do a food shop hungry. It's the worst decision ever. And I'd see like seven packets of hula hoops for a pound. And I'd buy four. And I'd just chuck them in the basket. And then I'd go around, I'd eat like, and there'd be like six jam donuts for 79p, chuck it in there. Or like six ice buns, chuck it in there. Hot, hot cross buns, chuck two packets for a pound, chuck them in there. And then I put them in my room. The worst decision I could have done, put them in my room. And I'd be like, I only have like eight hours of contact time a week. It sounded like I'd had a really fake degree, but I actually did work really hard for my politics degree. And um, I get bored. I just go, packet of crisps. Packet of crisps. Every hour, like well, packet of crisps. A, a throwback to the, the diet section of just, I know. Know, do what you enjoy, but just in moderation. And please eat in moderation because crisps. I'm not <laughs> recommending eating 28 packets of crisps a week. <laughs> it was so horrendous. Many. It was so, absolutely horrendous. So many crisps. And that's without like counting all the beer, the, the alcohol, the hot cross buns, um... Yeah, just all stuff like that. I, and I got to a stage where I think I was looking at pictures um, in third year of like my pictures from second year. And I was, and I had this like t-shirt on and it, the, like my, my belly or like the, the darb was almost like seeping through. And I was looking at myself, it's like, crikey, I need to change this. So when I'd finished my dissertation, I, I had like a month in my, in my third year house well, I just wasn't doing anything. It was just basically just like a party month. And I went on a run like every single day for a month and I lost like three stone. So I went back to like 10 stone, which I was like my normal weight before, but I was still really, really slim. And then after that, when I graduated and I came back home and I started working again, I, st- I started going to the gym and that journey went from there. Fair. See, similar to me then, you sort of used cardio as a way in and then mm. moved over to strength, which is good. And you should do both. Yes, yeah, I think probably doing both is recommended. Yeah, you were telling me about your six aside issues. So yeah, 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 yeah. For the listeners, uh, I do play. Well, at the moment, I've played six aside once a week, um, but I am struggling a lot with the, the short explosive sprints. Like I get back to the office because I play with my some old work colleagues, and um, I would just be dead. Like I'd have a shower and I'd just be sitting there just falling asleep at my desk and I'd have to like get some sugar in me or something just to keep myself awake. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. I really need to improve that side to be fair. Yeah, but like I said before, man, with sprints, if they're not leaving you absolutely exhausted, then you're not doing them hard enough anymore, you know? Mm. Like they should always get harder and they should always be exhausting because... That's how you know you're improving. Yeah, exactly. We're coming to the end of the podcast now, Dan, and we've discussed all these different factors in the influence upon depression and mental health. What would be your final takeaway that you'd want to give to the listeners? All right, Fred. Well, firstly, I just want to thank you for having me. Um, it's been a good experience. I've enjoyed it a lot. Oh, I'm pleased, um, mate. And I think you're doing a great thing. Um, before I go into answer your question, I'd just like to add that I'm forever and always going to promote you and your incredible impressions to any and everyone. <laughs> so I'm going to take the chance on this podcast to do the same thing. 
So Thanks very much, mate. I won't be doing a impression on this podcast just for the listeners, but if you catch me in real life and ask me to, I will happily do that. Yeah. Maybe for a different, maybe for a future edition, I'll trial some. Man's got a list. <laughs> We're ready. We're ready. We're out here. Um, but yeah, back to the issue at hand. Um, I just want to say that I, I'm aware of mental health and how it's effect- and its effects. And I know that depression, anxiety and a number of other issues can be debilitating and difficult. Um, personally, focusing my mind on my health when I got down was my way of dealing with it. You know, I slept eight hours. I woke up early. I trained hard. I ate right and I couldn't feel more capable now, which is an incredible thing. Um, on the flip, you know, there are times where I don't train for a week or I get an injury or I have a poor night's sleep or I eat fast food too abundantly and I'll, I'll suffer because of that, you know. Um, whether it be from lethargy or digestive irritation or mental instability, I've learned that whatever it is, it's uh, related to how I've been looking after myself that week. And so I think, that, you know, that's something that's can't just apply to me. Um, so I would say moving forward, you know, if you're feeling any, any which way for any circum, any, any reason, you know, just take into consideration what you've done for yourself, you know, um, I'd also want to just add that I was speaking to my girlfriend about this and she said a reason why people fear living such a healthy lifestyle is they think it requires drastic, unsustainable changes. And like we said before, observing these social media social media models who advertise these unattainable edited bodies every day doesn't help that. But, you know, Instagram and its effects is probably a whole podcast in itself, Fred, mm. so we won't. And I'll be happy to have you on to talk about that, mate. Delve too deep into that now. Um, but yeah, being healthy is limiting the frequency of luxuries and treats relative to your current habits and filling the hunger with water, which again, we didn't delve too deep on, but hydration is paramount and an unbelievable uh, appetite suppressant. Um, and eating highly nutritious foods, choosing a form of exercise that you love, whether that's team sports, you know, going for a run, cycling, going to the gym, whatever it might be, um, and a good night's sleep. That's it. And just finally, Dan, uh, if, they, if the listeners want to find out more about your work, where can they go? So I'm based at the Center for Health and Human Performance. That's on all the socials. And I work with the best of the best in terms of a number of health and wellbeing fields. We have performance nutritionists. We have sleep consultants. We have the best physios in the world. Um, we have performance consultations and sports doctors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being in and around that every day gives me um, a great depth of information. Um, but yeah, if anyone has any anything they want to delve into on a personal note on any of those fields that we've discussed, then that's the place to do it. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this edition of the Just Checking In podcast. Dan, thank you so much for checking in with me. This is probably the most I've learned in a single sitting since university, to be honest. And I'm sure the listeners have learned a lot too. Thank you to all the venters who have tuned in. And as always, if you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. Or if you're feeling really, really generous, write us a view on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. We hope to check check in with you again very soon. And just remember, it's always okay to vent. Goodbye. Intensely fanatical, but nothing problematic.
cool. It's strange, strange, strange.